Just want to offer a quick prayer for Jobin. My name's Nelson, one of the pastors here. And uh, it's a delight to have you with us. And Jobin is the executive director of Jacob's Well, just down the road here, one of our friends and uh, ministry partners in the downtown east side here. Delight to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, just want to offer a prayer for you and set you loose. <laughs> uh, thank you, Spirit of Jesus, that you are present here, that you unite us in friendship and in purpose and in meaning. And I thank you for uh, leading us to this space and this time um, yeah, in your wisdom. And I pray that you continue to open our ears and hearts for you want us to be um, in this place and as we love those in our own neighborhoods as well as the one that we find ourselves gathered in here on Sundays. And thank you for Jobin, for his heart, for his life, for his experience. Thank you for uh, your spirit's uh, gifts in him and I thank you for the gift that he is in himself that you would rest now on his words and his heart and bless us, change us, transform us through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to use this. Well, good to see all of you. Some of you I know, many of you I don't. But um, it's always... Here we go. Thank you for welcoming... How do I get this? Is it supposed to fall? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Thank you, thank you for welcoming me here today, and it's an honor to be in your presence. Uh, I bring you greetings from Jacob as well. Uh, many in our community know you and think of you fondly. Artisan is a, is a common word in our, on our friend's lips. So uh, I'm also always glad to be in this building. Uh, it is, um, the Japanese hall is a friend of the neighborhood, um, and I'm really grateful for the friends who steward the space and the welcome they extend to us, uh, deserved and undeserved. Um, in a wider context, I'm grateful for the collective graciousness that allows us to work and minister here in this neighborhood, uh, among those who are poor, uh, among those who might be in distress, with all its beauty, uh, despite many of the hard things we see here. And um, I mean, many of us come from other neighborhoods into this neighborhood, and uh, that welcome uh, is a marvel to me, uh, considering uh, all the impact and effect we have. So uh, never take that lightly. I work at Jacob's Well. Some of you may know us. I, um, it is a community of faith that started 20 years ago uh, by someone just like us. Pauline Fell was... Uh, an older lady who she felt God was telling her to uh, make friends. And so she came down the downtown east side every day and she would walk around the neighborhood, uh, meet people and just chat with them. And then years, a few years down the road, as Pauline got older and had to um, go into an assisted living space, she felt God was saying, I want you to leave a legacy. And Pauline said, uh, I don't have any money. I don't know what legacy you're talking about. And, and she felt God say, I want you to leave your legacy of friendship. And so, so what Pauline did was then take her group of friends in the downtown east side, find some other friends and say, and handed her friends off to new friends as Pauline left. 
And so Pauline would, Pauline would pass away a few years later, but Jacobsville was born out of that. And uh, we still continue to be a place of friendship and welcome. The idea being that uh, at the common space of the table, there's mutuality and uh, we can learn from each other. People often ask us, you know, the downtown east side is a, is a petri dish of uh, services and if you want, uh, if you're hungry, the downtown east is a great place to get food. There's food everywhere. Um, and so I often tell people, Jacobswell is not a needs-focused place. So people ask, what does Jacobswell do? And I say, I don't know what we do. Uh, uh, but we're here and we say hello to people. We ask them how they're doing. And uh, we've been around for 20 years. I've not been around for 20 years, I'm, yeah. But um, we are people-focused and we are not needs-focused. And so there's nothing wrong with being needs-focused, but, um, and there are needs, you know, housing is a need, there's a lot of needs in our city. But uh, the idea is that I know, we get to know each other's names, much like church, and uh, we respond to needs out of friendship. So. Um, so do we do housing? No. Do we do food? Yes, but no. Uh, we, we, are, we, much, we don't feed people as much as we create the dining table so we can join in it. Anyway, that's the, that's the Jacobsville spiel. If you want to hear more about it and ways to be involved, if you're asking questions about, um, if you're in the neighborhood, I know some of you are already in the neighborhood, but if you're asking questions about what is my impact, and I know Artisan is asking this question, so what is my impact and what does that mean when you, you, know, when you walk out the door, if you get in your car and drive away and you see things? Yeah, we'll be happy to talk about how you can be involved. Uh, anyway, so I'm gonna share a little bit uh, from our passage today. Uh, man, that's a humdinger. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> so you've got, you've got uh, the Samaritans. This is not the good Samaritan story, though. Uh, the goods, uh, we've got, you know, let the dead bury the dead. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, that seems to be antithetical in every way to uh, what God's asking us to do, but I mean, he says it. So let's dig in a little bit. So Jesus is, um, he's got his eyes set on Jerusalem and Jerusalem is like the center of everything. Uh, Maybe the characters in this story don't know it yet, but we know what's happening in Jerusalem. Does anyone have an idea what happens in Jerusalem? Death. And Jesus knows, earlier, earlier in the chapter, he has told the disciples, I'm, uh, you know, oh, my day will come, I will go, and this is a line where it says disciples have no idea what he's talking about, which is pretty obvious when you read this. And then he's, um, and so he, he's got his eyes set on Jerusalem, and much like what Jesus does, he sends messengers ahead of him to prepare the way for him. And earlier in the passage, he, Jesus has like prayed for his disciples and he has, the power of God has fallen on them and he sends them out. Um, he tells them, oh, carry only a tunic. Uh, don't carry anything with you. You know, just walk into someone's house in a village, stay in their house, don't go anywhere else. Basically, he tells them, Take nothing with you, but go seek welcome. And from that welcome, you will minister, which is what they do. And then they go around. It's a pretty, reading it, it seems, it seems uh, we get used to reading scripture when amazing things happen and we, we just, ah, okay, raise the dead, did a miracle there. 
But that's what they were doing. They were doing these powerful things despite not understanding because that was the power of Jesus in their lives. And then, um, anyway, so early in the chapter, he sends them out, he does that, seek welcome wherever they could. They're preaching the gospel, healing the sick. And then Jesus is welcoming children. He tells them, if you don't enter the kingdom of heaven like this child, you, you, know, you will not attain the kingdom of God. And then he goes and feeds the 5,000 with a few loaves. I mean, we talk about feeding people. I mean, we, feed about, we do about 50 people at, uh, at dinner on a Wednesday. I would love to just pray and not have to cook. It would be great. But, um, <laughs> but at this point, after all these miracles, there's a sense of urgency and intentionality in Jesus' tone. Um, things are getting a little serious here. And we're only in chapter 9 of Luke, and Jesus is already talking about his death. Uh, in fact, if you read the rest of Luke, the rest of his ministry is all about the purpose that he comes to the earth for. He comes to die, right? So, which we know. Twelve don't seem to know yet. Um, so he knows like we do, and he, the trail that he is on is leading him to the cross. But funnily, the trail that he's on is also leading him through a Samaritan village, which if you know the context, uh, it shouldn't lead him through the Samaritan village because Jews always avoid Samaritan villages. So, so Samaritans are always annoying. So here we go, I'm gonna read what I wrote. So they're always in the way, annoying, not so very nice Samaritans. Now, the last time we heard about Samaritans, we heard about a good one. So every child has heard the story, you know. Uh, we must all be like the good Samaritan, caring for our neighbor. But here's the thing though, that story is actually not about helping your neighbor. So even in any Jewish person that hears the Good Samaritan story, and if they got the lesson that I'm supposed to help my neighbor, we would be wrong in our reading of it because uh, the Israelites, they knew they were supposed to help their neighbor. It was part of culture. You fed the hungry, you took care of the poor. Everyone knew that. The rich young ruler who's asking Jesus these questions he knows he's supposed to help the poor. He's doing it. But what Jesus does is he centralizes the enemy as the center of the story. What annoys the Jew in this story is not that the Levite didn't help, not that the, um, you know, the judge or the lawyer didn't help. What is really annoying is that scum of a Samaritan he had to be the hero? Why? Why couldn't a good Jewish person be the hero? And I think we ask this question often, right? So the, when, the when God picks the unexpected person, it annoys us. We would like to be the center of the story. So, but the Samaritans now are the classical opponent of the Jews. You know, they're like Gryffindor and Slytherin, right? One is so clearly the good person, the other is so clearly the bad. Bracket Snape, turns out to be all right. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, this, so the Samaritans, so the, you're, if you wanted to worship God back in the day, you had to, you had to you know, either walk or get a donkey and go to Jerusalem and um, pray in the temple. It's the only place you could really pray. Now the Samaritans weren't allowed to in the temple. So they decided, oh, we can pray everywhere, which we take for granted. Uh, because we walk into space throughout our lives and we, we take ownership of it and we, you know, we're in a country 
that we, we acknowledge the land before. We're very good at occupying space, to work, even in our worship and our living. Uh, but the Samaritans, the Jews do not like this. So they're like, oh, Samaritans, I mean, those lowlifes, how can they say that they worship the same God? This God is our God. You don't get to worship him. And, and so, yeah, a little scrap back and forth. Every time uh, a Samaritan wants to go to Jerusalem, there's a bunch of Jews waiting for them. You can't enter. Every time a Jew wants to go through the Samaritan village, Samaritan said, well, if you're going to Jerusalem, you can't enter. And so that back and forth goes on. But I don't know, if you read your Bible, why does Jesus keep finding himself in Samaritan villages? He's a good Jewish man. He's a rabbi. He knew all about no entry clause in Samaritan villages, but he somehow keeps ending up in Samaritan villages. So here they are. Uh, there's a beaten pack to Jerusalem that avoids Samaritan villages. Jesus walks right to one. And the Samaritans say, well, if you're going to Jerusalem, and Jesus' eyes are fixed on Jerusalem. Everyone can see that. Uh, and the Samaritans say, well, you're not going through here. And James and John, as you would predict, sons of thunder as they are, they go, Avada Kedavra, let's kill them all. Bring fire down and deaths to Samaritans. Wouldn't they like that? Um, and on, on one way you'd say anything in the path of Jesus doing this, Jesus is here to bring salvation to all creation. And two of his disciples are saying, well, while you're on your way to save us all, let's kill a few people. Uh, and Jesus' rebuke is quick. Uh, Jesus responds uh, with compassion, patience, and grace. When I first moved to Vancouver in January of 2020, um, it's my second day in Vancouver, and a friend said, oh, let me show you something cool. And so um, we got in his car in Richmond somewhere, and he drove uh, to the downtown east side. And he said, um, okay, I'm not going to stop. Don't get out of the car. And he drove me past Oppenheimer, which was back then a tent city. And you could see the pain in the neighborhood, but I could also feel the condemnation of my car. Um, this place is not safe. This place will hurt you. These people are out to get what you have. I usually never come down here. Um, I try to avoid it. But just so you can see, I'll bring you here. Yet, Jesus somehow never misses a Samaritan village. The Savior is on his way to seek reconciliation for all creation. And we, quite often, are hoping for destruction. Uh, in the ways that we've, I often tell people the sin of our city is not, um, is a sin of juxtaposition. It is the sin of plenty next to very little. And they're one street away from each other. Now we may not want to call down fire. I mean, you're not going to use any of those deathly curses. So, 
Um, but there is a simmering under the surface. It's in my heart, the annoyance of the person in my back alley that keeps yelling, Megan, let me in, uh, maybe twice a week. Uh, you know Megan. <laughs> uh, Megan, to her credit, has never let him in, so. Uh, but you can feel the pain on the street. Jesus doesn't skip the Samaritan village. Now maybe your Samaritan is not this neighborhood. Uh, maybe your Samaritan is someone else. Jesus doesn't skip them. Uh, even when his eyes are set on Jerusalem, he stops at the Samaritan village. So we that need saving don't always seek the same salvation that Jesus offers the world. We want to be the center of Jesus' salvation, not realizing the saving is for all. And the more I get to know my neighborhood, you know, I'm new, um, the more I find that Jesus is already here. And the more you will find that the, the, the disciples find out that Jesus is already in a Samaritan village. The more I find those that worship, the more I find the kingdom of God present and alive. We have this assumption that the poor have less of God. And I keep finding the opposite to be true. So not everyone recognizes the Savior in the midst, and often I miss seeing him, but he's here. He has not taken the detour, and in that compassion, I think there's hope for all of us. Because I think if we journey life, and we've journeyed life enough, I think that we will find out that we are just as needy as Walter that yells for Megan every two nights. Uh, we're just really good at hiding it. So here we are, and, and everything shifts. You're like, yes, Jesus the compassionate. Of course, Jesus loves the poor. Of course, Jesus loves the Samaritan. And yes, you tell James and John, uh, you know, that their, their wizardly ways of death are not good. Um, but it's not me, right? I mean, it's not us. We, we're with Jesus. He loves everyone, and he'll keep loving everyone. And of course, Jesus is with the poor, yeah. Then it gets a little hairy. <laughs> and so then you have, so you've got to understand the context here. So, you know, disciples have gone and they've done these magical signs and uh, everyone's like really high on this. Oh yeah, you know, I want to do some miracles. Let me bring my kids to you. And so you have all these people saying, oh, how do I, let me, I would like to follow you. And, the, and Jesus asked someone else to follow him and they, you know, they'll say, hi, oh, I got to go say bye to my dad. Um, so the same Jesus that shows compassion seems to have some harsh words for followers that are eager to jump on the Jesus bandwagon. The foxes have holes and the birds of the nests, birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back 
is fit for the kingdom of God? Where's the compassion in that? Shouldn't Jesus have said the same thing to the Samaritans who were blocking his path? And it's after Jesus is crushing the eagerness of those who seek to follow him. Why would Jesus scare us off with the fear of homelessness? A feeling many of my friends know all too well in our neighborhood. Why would the Jesus who weeps at the death of Lazarus belittle the grief of a son that has lost his father? Is family and farewell not important if you follow Jesus? It all seems like hyperbole. Surely none of us are meant to be homeless. We know that. I'm not meant to be homeless. Surely we can and should lament a loss of life. Surely we are not signing up for a life of loneliness with no connection to the things and people we love. And yet many in our world, in our city, are exactly in those places. Now, it's not an easy passage to read or understand. Uh, most often, you know, this is how I've heard it often is, uh, oh, God wants us to love him more than family and the things, but we can still enjoy it. And these things are, you know, and those things, you know, we can love them this much, but we just got to love God that much more. Surely that is fine. We are good. Good joke, Jesus. Thank you very much. Um, and I think, you know, that's an okay place to be, you know. We, yes, we got to love God more. It's a good lesson. Yes, things are good. God does give us good things. Scripture says that. But I think we might miss the boat if we do not dig a bit deeper. Because Jesus does not seem to be kidding. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. That sounds pretty ominous. Life is hard. We will all experience sorrow. And I was telling a friend yesterday, we get really good at celebration. We're not very good at lament for a human race that has lived a very, very long time. He's still figuring it out. But there are some questions we should be asking. Are we in pursuit of the kingdom of God? Or are we in the pursuit of the kingdom of self? We can't forget the radicality of the gospel. Jesus is turning our priorities on its head. The upside down gospel, if you will. Maybe God is calling the homeless. Maybe God is calling the the lonely. Maybe they are our missionaries. Maybe they are the ones that we need to be listening to. Maybe it means simple things like just as much as we congratulate a friend on the new house they purchased, we pray that they would be led to use their possessions in service of the kingdom. And maybe even be conscious of the temptation that this increased power and privilege can bring. 
maybe in celebrating each of our successes, behold the weight of what success can do to our ego and our self-importance in the world. I love bikes. Maybe I need to ask myself why I have four of them. I can't ride them all at the same time. I don't have place to keep them. And so I show up in friends' houses and I forget to take them back home. So, I, it's, so I've got three houses in different people's homes. Why? Um, maybe we ask questions about the ways we welcome Jesus in our midst. Are we seeing Jesus in the poor? Are we seeing Jesus in the hurting? Is he at the door or does he sit alongside us at the table? And oftentimes churches, we're at church, and we're like, yes, Jesus, be the center. And uh, I often have, people say, oh, so are you, are, you, are you the same way at Jake as well? Is Jesus the center of everything you do? And I say, no. And they're a little worried for me. <laughs> and I said, Jesus is not the center, but he is sitting beside me at the table. Our table doesn't have a head. Uh, Jesus is alongside us. Does your welcome extend from your door to the table where you eat, where the core of who you are is, the space where you share your deepest fears and longings? Is Jesus there? Other parts of my life that would like Jesus to not walk through? Other parts of my life that are a Samaritan village that anyone going to Jerusalem isn't allowed through. Some place we'd rather he take a detour and not ask difficult questions. Well, Artisan, I, I know these are, these are questions that you're already asking. Um, and know that I, I, I hear what the, this church is doing and what the church is doing, and I'm, I'm encouraged by the, your faithfulness in doing so. And of course, Jesus may not be asking all of us to immediately be homeless or give up our families. But I think we need to entertain the idea that Jesus may be asking some of us. The savior that we, that is all about love, that is all about grace, that's all about space and creativity for all of us but also be asking, what can I do to extend that compassion and grace and space at our tables, in our homes, in the ways that we ask for raises at work, in the ways that the extra room in our house might be sitting empty, and you know, the little and big difficult questions that would be willing to let Jesus in to those spaces so we can ask these difficult questions. So um, with that in mind, I'd like us to um, take a few minutes. And I think we've got some, well, everyone's sitting sort of in pods here, so, which is great. If you could just take maybe six, seven minutes here, and uh
with the person next to you and two questions. The first one is asking God, uh, what is the place of my life that I need rebuke where my spirit of judgment against the Samaritan in my life is not, is causing a hurdle to God's salvation in the world. That's the first one. And the second one is asking, is God asking me uh, to give something up, to sacrifice something? Or is there, is there a place in my life that uh, God is asking me to that radical response um, to the Samaritan? Uh, it could be a brother. I know I need to forgive my brother. Uh, and so, yeah, let's just take those two questions uh, and then I will, I will call us back in prayer. Yeah, so the first one is a, a confession and a, you know, self-rebuke of the places that we um, uh, hold judgment against you know, those in our community or someone in your life. And the second one is asking, what is God calling me to in, in the openness uh, to others and salvation of the Lord? So, so make noise, go crazy. Yeah. I hope uh, this conversation continues. I know it's a conversation you're already a part of. And I pray that you continue it. I'm just gonna pray here and end. Father, we are thankful for your gospel. Salvation for all, inclusive and gracious. We repent of the ways that our judgment and pettiness stands in the way of your saving grace. May we have eyes to see your presence all around us and may we spare a seat at the table for those that might be the Samaritan in our lives. If there are specific spaces and ways David, you, that you would like us to respond, let us seek them out. May our hearts be softened to your kingdom to come in glory and here on the earth. Amen.